my vision is to have an, a, uh, a sometimes oppositional uh, relationship to the stars we cover, depending on whether those stars are doing bad things or not. Hello, and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Rolling Stone editor-in-chief, Noah Schachtman. Noah took the reins of the legendary rock and roll magazine in July, after several years as the top editor of the Daily Beast. At the Beast, Noah presided over a fast-paced newsroom that put a premium on scoops. He has sought to bring similar buzz to Rolling Stone, which has broken several big stories since he joined its masthead, including a takedown of Eric Clapton and an alarming report on the January 6th protest organizers meeting with members of Congress and White House staff. I called up Noah on Tuesday to discuss the daunting task of taking over Rolling Stone, where he plans to take the magazine, the future of print, and the future of music journalism. Noah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. My first question is, what's the beef with Eric Clapton? <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't have any beef with Eric Clapton if he um, wasn't bankrolling a bunch of crazed anti-vaxxer protesters. Mm. And if he hadn't spent a half century um, biting off of black music and talking shit about black people. Um, other than those two things, um, I think he's like definitely one of the top three guitarists ever to play in Cream. <laughs> For listeners who do not know, Noah is referencing recent reporting from Rolling Stone that Eric Clapton, in addition to a history of racist outbursts, uh, has emerged as a vocal anti-vaxxer and even donated money to anti-vax musicians. Now, Rolling Stone throughout its history has faced some criticism for having too cozy a relationship with artists and record companies that it covers. And I think Eric Clapton is one of those figures that has loomed large in the Rolling Stone universe uh, and actually graced the cover a number of times. Is your vision of Rolling Stone to have a more oppositional posture towards the stars that it covers? Yeah, I mean, I think my vision is to have an, a, a sometimes oppositional uh, relationship to the stars we cover, depending on whether those stars are doing bad things or not. Um, and if they're just making great art, then I think we'll have a celebratory uh, relationship with them. If they're making great art and being shitbirds uh, on the side, we're probably gonna have a more uh, adversarial relationship with them. I should note that, that you know, this has happened throughout Rolling Stone's history. Uh, for example, Johnny Depp was on the cover any number of times and then got aired out in 2019 by Rolling Stone. But um, I think you'll see a more uh, consistently uh, aggressive posture towards, uh, especially music industry, uh, figures that uh, may not be the leading lights. You are someone who once said in an interview, and I have the quote here, you said, fuck access journalism. Yes. Is, <laughs> have you had to forego that mantra a little bit since getting into, uh, you know, arguably a beat that's a, that requires a little bit more access journalism? Yeah, look, it's true that um, there's a little bit more negotiation uh, going on um, with you know publicists and managers and, and stuff like that, but uh, fundamentally, I stand by that. And and uh, you know we're not like while Rolling Stone gets great access, it gets great access because of its aggressive reporting, because of its place in the culture, because of its history of doing great journalism. It doesn't get great access uh, because you know we suck up to stars. And so it's been really interesting for me. It's been an education for me to hear our, um, you know, music and photo editors talk to stars, uh, managers and publicists 
and, and really demand the kind of access that Rolling Stone has to have in order to do, let's say, a cover um, interview. So, uh, yeah, I basically, you know, that statement was made uh, mostly around politics. Mm. But, yeah, I stand by it. Have you heard anything back from Eric Clapton or his camp with regard to that story? You know, it's funny. We heard back, uh, Eric uh, piped up, um, and we're on a first name basis, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, it, uh, he piped up a little bit on Facebook uh, during like a news hit of ours, but um, hasn't said anything and his camp hasn't said anything since then. Now, mm-hmm. ironically, other people have taken up the mantle for him. So there's a uh, 90s uh country uh, star is too strong a word has been uh, named Travis Tritt who mm. uh, decided that he was inspired by Clapton and was actually going to take things a step further and say that any place that you know banned uh, you, know, you know that uh, um, mandated masks and uh, vaccines and you know basically any COVID uh, precautions um, you know he wasn't going to play gigs there and so the good people of Philadelphia and Mississippi and elsewhere were, were deprived of his services. Now for that, he was rewarded in the sort of Foxoverse. And I know he appeared on Tucker and some other shows. So I think it's probably, it was um, kind of a play to forego some gigs and, and get a national audience. And, and that's what he did. Sure. Now I'm excited to talk to you uh, for this episode because I just recently finished reading Sticky Fingers, which is the yeah. biography of of Jan Wenner and, and Rolling Stone by Joe Hagen. Uh, have, have you read it? I have. What'd you think? I mean, it's a juicy read. Uh, yeah. I've been told it may not be a 100% accurate read, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's it's definitely a juicy read. Yeah, Jan was, was certainly not, not pleased with it. But, you know, one of the overarching themes of the book is how much Rolling Stone was a vehicle for rock and roll culture while benefiting from its growth. And... Obviously, it's been, a, you know, genuinely a music Bible for so many throughout the years. Do you think that's something that can be captured again? Yeah, well, I'd say, first of all, I think it's a music Bible right now. And mm. and I don't think it's, you know, needs to recapture anything. But I do think it can get more oomph and more relevancy and more urgency to it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I very much think that's not only possible, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, if you look at who we're going to feature on our covers, it's the very biggest stars of right now, right? The second, not, you know, throwbacks to yesteryear and, and, and I, you know, that's going to continue into the future. Now, Rolling Stone made a big splash this week with some exclusive reporting on organizers of the January 6th protest meeting with members of Congress and White House staffers in advance of the Capitol riot. Is that the kind of story that we can expect more of from Rolling Stone? Because that really is, it's almost like a Daily Beast story under Noah Schachtman as editor. Um, is that, you know, a kind of reporting that you are bringing over to Rolling Stone from the Daily Beast? I mean, I am what I am. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I love, I love good scoops. And, um, I, you know, I think that uh, people that try to overthrow democracy should be busted. And so I'm going to try to find great reporting that, um, you know, that hits on both of those things. And so, yeah, I think you're going to find a lot of hard hitting political reporting. I think you're going to find a lot of hard hitting uh, cultural reporting and, you know, some great music journalism. And uh, I think you'll have the new Rolling Stone right there. Does it, is it odd to look at the Daily Beast, a place that you worked at for years and were you know, top editor there for, for several years? Is it odd to look at them like a competitor now? 
honestly, I don't look at him as a competitor. I mean, I look at like, you know, just because I moved out of the house doesn't mean I don't love my brother, you know? Um, and, you know, I think the Daily Beast right now is the best website, news website on the internet, like hands down. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping Rolling Stone can, can you know, can get there. Um, so no, I mean, I, I like, I, I view it as a joyful uh, competition if it, if it's a competition at all. And, and, you know, I was super psyched when the other day, our January 6th reporting uh, got, mentioned in the cheat sheet you know like that was like yeah made me really happy so no i mean you know i love all those uh those folks over there and and um you know they're going to continue to do amazing work do you see any of these other websites as a competitive rolling stone like pitchfork or fader or any of these music websites or is it really do you really see rolling stone now as its own beast that you know has no real competitor in that space because it's such it has pretty diverse coverage at this point yeah, I think a danger can be if we get too diverse in our coverage, you know, and mm. if we, uh, by too diverse, I mean, covering too many different topics, because really anything can be a, a Rolling Stone story if it, if it's, uh, if it's framed right. So, you know, it's great that we were able to uh, recently um, scoop the fact that Kyrie Irving was basically going to try and um, skip out of uh, home games because he didn't want to be, uh, get the, get the COVID vaccine. Uh um, which is um, sort of runs counter to, to New York's requirements. So that's awesome that we're going to do that. Are we going to start standing up a whole sports section because of that? No. Um, so back on your original question, look, I, I, I felt this way at the Daily Beast too. I think just the most important thing is just to run in your own lane and not worry mm. too much about competitors. But, you know, just be, you know, we just got to let Rolling Stone be Rolling Stone and, you know, do, you know, hard hitting aggressive reporting on politics, on music, on culture, and on, you know, stories you can't find anywhere else. And yeah, we're going to like, you know, combine some of that, you know, insider exclusive access that really only we get with an outsider POV that only we, we really have in the, the entertainment space. And you, you combine those two things and you get, and you get something really special. Are there other outlets that are doing good reporting in entertainment? Definitely are. Um, our sister publications at Variety and Billboard are doing great reporting. Hollywood Reporter, great reporting. But I think we have a, uh, uh, you know, a certain rock and roll attitude that we're going to continue to bring, um, even if we're not always covering rock and roll. I mean, you described the Daily Beast as a high-end tabloid. And yeah. I imagine that while that's not really the sort of the mandate that Rolling Stone has, you still want to bring over um, the hard-hitting, aggressive scoop machine sensibility that you had at the Daily Beast and that, that any high-end tabloid would have. Um, is that a correct read? Yeah, I think that's right. I would say, you know, look, Rolling Stone's got to be a magazine with teeth. Mm. You know, Rolling Stone's got to be a magazine with bite. It's got to be a magazine with edge. And if it doesn't have that, then what's the point? Um, but, I mean, I think you can see just in the the you know first you know six weeks or so since i've been here um you know it seems like uh seems like we got the teeth sharpened so i, I think we're off to a good start <laughs> and i think one thing that i find interesting about your approach to digital news is spotlighting the juiciest angle of a story you you had an interview with the washington post recently where you said that burying the news is a relic of print and you know we have a similar approach at media i i know the daily beast did the same of really finding the most interesting angle of a story and throwing that in the headline. You know, it's a far cry from Frank Sinatra has a cold. Is that mantra of no boring headlines? Do you think that's 
that's really like the future of digital media properties? I mean, I don't know if it's the future or the past. It just seems like, you know, when there's 19 bazillion things out there on the internet, you know, you got to work to, to find an audience and you can't waste people's times and throat clear for, you know, 17 paragraphs before you give them the good stuff, you know, right. that doesn't mean you can't do step back leads. It doesn't mean you can't do anecdotal leads. That doesn't mean you can't have like, you know, different kinds of headlines, you know, more how-to headlines or more uh, elliptical headlines or whatever, but you got to offer, you know, some kind of value proposition right away um, to people or else they've got too many other choices. They're just going to move on. Yeah. One thing I find interesting about the Rolling Stone that you have inherited is that the print magazine is apparently in good shape. Yeah. Um, Gus Wentner, who is Jan Wentner's son, he's the chief executive of Rolling Stone. He said the magazine has a circulation of 500,000, around 500,000, and that it's profitable. Are you optimistic about the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone as a print magazine? Yeah, I am. And I'm also optimistic about um, sort of using those um, print uh, sensibilities to deliver like true bangers online. Here's yeah. what I mean by that. You know, all of our um, uh, stories at Rolling Stone are beautifully designed. Uh, they've got their, they go through, you know, multiple rounds of fact check and copy edit and top edit and things like that. And so that when you're reading, um, you know, a big print feature like that Eric Clapton one you referenced, you know, it comes out reading great. And, and you know, and print also allows that reporter, David Brown, in that case, you know, several weeks to, to dig in. And so, yeah, no, I'm I'm very I'm very bullish, you know, on on print. Or is it going to go back to being a you know million five hundred, um, you know, subscription magazine? Definitely not. But like, is it going to be a great engine for our journalism? And is it going to be a you know a great object for people to to hold on to and want to subscribe to? Definitely. Yeah, you know, I used to work for a little print magazine in London called Monocle, and Monocle was magazine. launched. Yeah, it's a really good one. Uh, and it was launched in 2007 when people were declaring magazines dead. And the the concept was to create, you know, a quality, good-looking product that people could have on their coffee table and, and read through. And I think it actually ended up working and that that's really the future of magazines. Um, you know, the magazines that are successful are the kind of niche ones that people want to read and buy as a physical product. Because you don't need, you know, magazines to get information now. You can just go online for that. Is that an assessment that you agree with? And, and how do you think Rolling Stone fits into that? Yeah, it's a, it's a I'd say I partly agree with it. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think that's the only way a magazine works, but look, you know, whether it's in print or online or, you know, magazine or newspaper or, you know, a TV show or what have you, like you got to bring something new to the table. You got to bring something original to the table. And, you know, that can be, that that has to be sensibility and it should also be new information too and i think what's definitely dead is like this idea that a magazine can kind of like just wrap up a bunch of daily reporting into a nice little bow and present that and and call it a feature i just I, that proposition i think is is pretty much dead mm -hmm. um but in terms of deep dives and you know you know strong voice and and, and beautiful presentation i absolutely think you know, that's alive and well. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of a crew um, at Wired Magazine back in the day that really produced, you know, just incredible um, journalism and, and incredible magazine making. And, you know, some of the issues that, that we produced in that era, 
you know, I really look up to now and I'm, I'm trying to replicate, uh, uh, you know, how, how beautiful, how hard hitting, how mm. inventive they were. And I'm hoping to, you know, to match that level. And Rolling Stone has previously taken some heat for being too white in the stars yeah. that it chose to cover um, historically. Is there an active push within the magazine to cover more musicians of color, to get more people of color on the covers? Yeah, I think that rap may be itself a little a little outdated, but it mm. is 100% the case that um, we are looking to get more diverse on every level. And part of that is making sure that we're at maximally diverse um, on our, in our in the stars that we feature on our cover, and also who photographs them, who writes about them, um, and then um, you know really um, doing those uh, cover subjects the um, the uh, the service and giving them the respect to really do in depth. Uh, reporting with them and not just, um, you know, hit them up with puff pieces or anything like that. So the answer is yes, but I think it, it it's coming from a, um, from a place that um, uh, is a lot more diverse than uh, people who haven't checked in on Rolling Stone in a couple of years, uh, might imagine. Mm. You brought up your kids in a recent interview with the New York Times explaining that you, you were keeping tabs on youth culture through them in part. Now, I, I got to be honest. I, I think Mark Tracy, the reporter, God love him, who who just had a uh, who who just had a kid himself. I think he he brought that up mostly, and then and really, it, you know, what I thought of that. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm definitely uh, you know hanging out with my kids and 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 picking up some stuff from them. And in fact, I took my 11 year old to uh, to the Eternals uh, screening last night. Nice. But, um, but, but your kids you are know, not in charge of Rolling Stone. Yeah. yeah even though that 11 year old did go to an editorial meeting. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to forge my own path and, and, mm. um, you know, my kids playing Minecraft or whatever is not going to be, you know, how do you think you stone. get, I mean, you, you know, you, you watch your kids every day. Like, how do you think you get kids to care about Rolling Stone? Because obviously that's the goal of any media company, uh, particularly one like Rolling Stone, which is, is so historically a Bible for youth culture and rock and roll. How, like, how, how do you think you target kids now and get them to, to read a magazine like Rolling Stone? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think just reading the magazine is the only way to do it, right? Mm. And so, I mean, Rolling Stone operates across, we've been talking mostly about the print magazine and the online product, yeah. but I mean, Rolling Stone operates off a whole number of different levels from, um, you know, really uh, great podcasts to really cool, you know, Instagram reels and TikTok videos, you know, to what have you. So I think there'll be lots of different, you know, and we've also got, um, we haven't talked about this a bunch, but, you know, we've got this really cool, you know, two hour a day daily show on Twitch in which we're breaking big bands and talking about the news. And, and, um, and that's obviously like a very different audience than, um, you know, a typical print subscriber uh, or what have you. And those, shows you know get um views in the hundreds of thousands so it's a, it's a very different um you know sort of part of the media ecosystem than let's say the typical mediaite um mm -hmm. uh reader uh might be into but you know it's it's big so i think that's one part of it is just a variety of formats i think the second thing is we're just going to cover the hell out of stuff that maybe other places aren't so great at and and so some of that is going to be 
in music and we're going to be expanding our coverage of of hip-hop and k-pop and 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 reggaeton and other kinds of latin music um and then um you know we're going to be really making some big investments in internet culture and and the creator space and we mm -hmm. think there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, value there and then look you know um seemingly much more so than the olds you know kids really give a shit about like foundational issues like uh are we going to have a livable planet like will i be able to vote by the time i'm 18 mm -hmm. um you know um and and so we're going to really in our political coverage we're gonna we're not going to shy away from these issues that for some reason um other outlets have decided it is too boring or second place, even though they're of paramount importance. And 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 my experience and my bet is that a lot of young people are really going to care about uh, those. And so we're gonna we're gonna go after them hard. One of the things that really made Rolling Stone successful was when it moved beyond simply being sort of a local rock and roll magazine. It was powered by incredible journalism from Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Wolf, photography from Andy yeah. Leibovitz. Are you, now that you're editor of Rolling Stone, are you on the lookout for real sort of journalistic stars? Is that something that you still think is important to have these sort of like big name magazine writers working for Rolling Stone? Or is it more really about scoops and, you know, like, I guess, you know, I think internet culture has changed a little bit how we perceive writers. Are you looking for stars or are you looking more for, for sort of scoop machines and reporters that uh, may not have as big names? Well, I, I don't know that those two things are intention. Mm. I mean, and, you know, Hunter S. Thompson and Annie Leibovitz didn't start out as stars. They started out as, you know, Annie Leibovitz was like a college kid when she yeah. started working at Rolling Stone. So, no, we're going to look to develop our own talent and grow our own talent. And we're going to look to make stars out of people who can get scoops and who can tell stories beautifully. And so, I think you know, look, I think we'll do some of both. Um, but I think what we're not going to do is like take, um, you know, big name, but no game, uh, you know, person that was famous 40 years ago and give them, you know, $17 a word just because mm. they used to be famous once. I don't think we'll be doing that now. Um, I think what we will be doing is people that have, have got great material. We're going to, we're going to champion that great material and, um, some of those people will be people you've heard of before and some of those people won't be, or, you know, there'll be people you've heard of by the time we get done with them. And, you know, at the Daily Beast, I think I've had a pretty good reputation, you know, track record of taking folks that, that might've been on the periphery of the news game and, and putting them right at the center. And, and I'm planning on doing the same thing here. How do you plan on covering the Biden administration and a potential Trump run in 2024? Is that, is, is politics really going to be a focus of Rolling Stone in the next couple of years? It's going to be a focus, but it won't be, you know, it's not the, it's not a singular focus, but it'll definitely be a focus. Look, the Biden administration is tough, is, is a tough cover. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't like anybody's coverage of the Biden administration, like anyone, really? anyone's. Yeah, no, I think it's, and, and I just, uh, I find it all a little bit um, flat and process oriented. And mm -hmm. that's really, that's a hundred percent across the board. I, I just, I don't think it's been great, and and uh, I don't feel like they've been called out enough for their uh, for their misdeeds, and and it doesn't seem like anybody's got like a a truly you know fingertip feel for the for the um, for the dynamics inside the administration. Um, so no, I, I I don't think anybody's is is really great. Um, 
and uh, and how do you go about doing it? I think the way to do it, and and what we're going to try to do is really tackle very specific issues and try to go really hard on on very particular issues rather than going at like the White House or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our that's our approach. Um, but you know, Biden administration has been. I mean, like you take immigration, like the Biden administration's uh, record on immigration so far has been god awful mm. and i feel like they're not getting nearly enough heat for it um you know you take a look at i mean i think the, the i'm sorry i want to revise what i said before the only really good moment of reporting on the administration i've seen so far is when the meltdown you know withdrawal of afghanistan happened then for the first time i thought you saw start to see from all outlets like really aggressive gang mm. coverage about what went wrong, who was, you know, who was ringing the alarm, who was lulling themselves to sleep, who was, uh, you know, telling themselves stories that they wanted to hear. Um, and, you know, th- that to me was like the one really good moment so far in this first, you know, what is this, 10 months uh, of the Biden administration um, of coverage. Uh, otherwise, it's been it's been kind of flat. I kind of I, I agree with you. I think it feels like media is locked in this sort of partisan argument on every single issue. It's like a culture war almost yeah. where sort of like, you know, the Fox news side gets backed up and then the rest of the media gets backed up. And there's this sort of bickering about sort of weaves in Trump and Biden and stuff. And it's not particularly productive, but when the tragedy of the Afghanistan withdrawal happened, it really seemed like people like media started covering it like they would in normal administration, like they would have previous administrations. Yeah. Um, so it was refreshing to see that. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's one of the things that drew me to, this may not have actually been true, but the story I told myself, at least at the time, was Mm -hmm. that one of the reasons I liked national security coverage, I used to be a national security reporter back in the day, was that you could take um, looks at the the topic that were orthogonal uh, to politics and weren't exactly the same as partisan politics. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder now, in retrospect, if that's a bit of a bedtime story I told myself, but, um, but at the time, that's that's one of the things that appealed to me. I wanted to ask you about that because you made a name for yourself covering national security uh, at, at Wired when you, where you founded the, the famous Danger Room blog. Um, how did you get your start in, in journalism? <laughs> uh, I got my start uh, basically by being fired from my job. Um, nice. I had a very, very brief, I'm talking like, I think it was six months or nine months, a career as a book editor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing these early internet business books uh, that I'm totally terrified uh, to open up now. <laughs> um, this was like, early, you know, mid nineties, you know, like one was called like the geek's guide to internet business or something. Like sure. That. Sounds very mid nineties. Yeah. Um, and so um, the company, which was called Van Nostrum Reinhold got bought up by uh, this bigger publisher, John Wiley, and they fired pretty much everybody, in, including yours truly. Mm. Um, and some magazine editors were my writers at, um, uh, at, at Van Ness and Reinhold. And so I sort of turned to them and was like, uh, you know, <laughs> please, can you throw me a gig or two? And so I started freelance writing that way. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, I've been playing music the whole way along. And, and so, uh, sort of uh, uh, um, took advantage of my joblessness to um, to dig in hard on music, 
And what wound up happening for a number of years was, you know, I'd be on the road um, with, with various bands. Um, and then when I'd come home, I'd, I'd write an article or two or three to kind of help pay rent. Um, and that really kept going um, first until 2001. Um, when 9-11 happened, uh, I was such a, you know, useless journalist at that point that I, I knew I wanted to respond, but I, I really had no idea how to. Mm. Um, and so I, um, you know, fumbled around for a couple of days um, and, and finally uh, decided to pitch uh, some technology editors on a story about these robotic plans that were going to go after um, Al Qaeda. And, um, and I published that story a couple of days after 9-11 and, um, and, you know, sort of everybody kind of flipped out over that story. And so I started doing more and more and more of that. And that went on for a couple of years. Um, and I was still sort of trading off being on the road and, and, um, and, and writing, but with more of this like national security and technology focus. Um, and then um, eventually by 2003, by basically by the Iraq uh, invasion, I felt like I had to take a, uh, a fork in the road. You know, I, I felt like there was a fork in the road and I felt like I had to choose either music or journalism. Mm. Um, and so uh, I chose journalism. And while I still played some gigs um, afterwards, like I felt like I'd made this like singular life choice and there'd be no way for me to ever to fuse music and journalism in the same job. And that was sort of what I thought was the deal um, for 18 years um, until Gus Wenner gave me uh, a text uh, last April. Well, I'm sure you didn't think at the time that uh, editor-in-chief uh, of Rolling Stone that that job was available to you. <laughs> Are you kidding? No way. I mean, look, you know, Rolling Stone and in the 90s, you know, Spin were like, you know, the ultimate. For nothing me. bigger, the, yeah. Nothing bigger, nothing bigger. The band, you know, it was the bands I fucking loved, or most of them anyway. And, you know, the journalism was was lights out. Um, you know, these incredible stories from around the world. And I should add with Rolling Stone, you know, look, as I was like coming up as a national security reporter, you know, they're reporting from Iraq and Afghanistan. And Rolling Stone was the best by far, you know, whether it was um, Michael Hastings, who I would yep. sort of hopscotch with um, on assignment over there, or Matthew Akins, who I feel like is, is really one of the great Afghanistan reporters and kind of doesn't get the credit um, that he's due. Uh, to Evan Wright, whose reporting famously became the uh, Generation Kill um, series on, on HBO, you know, Rolling Stone had had really standout national security coverage. And so it was, I mean, as if I needed another reason to take the gig, uh, you know, that that was a reason right there. Um, and um, we've got a pretty good national security story slated for the... Uh, I think it's for the January issue right now. Oh, wow. Maybe yeah, it should be pretty good. All right. We'll give a look out for that. Now, yeah. um, it, live music has uh, returned to a certain extent um, as we sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel in this pandemic. Now that you're editor-in-chief of Rolling Stone, is is going to gigs part of your purview now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going on Friday uh, uh, to the Rolling Loud um uh, festival festival uh, yeah out at city field which is a hip-hop festival yep. three days um 
let's see, I uh, was the other day at the Japanese breakfast uh, show in Brooklyn. Nice. She's great. Really yeah. great show. If you see her, if she's coming to your town, definitely check it out. Um, my, the, to, for my money, the best guitar player in the world currently is a guy named Undo Mokhtar, who's mm-hmm. kind of like the Jimi Hendrix of the Sahara. And he was in town the other day and, and, um, and I got to see him play. And then even better, he, he not because I had anything to do with it, but because one of our video guys uh, was doing something with him, he came by the office uh, the other day and that was even better. Um, let's see. And then uh, probably, uh, you know, I saw Billie Eilish and some other folks at the GovBall. And then. Um, oh, I, I was at GovBall too. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, Dude, I was there on the, um, the Saturday, I think, to see a, uh, yeah. a singer named Pink Sweats. Yes. Um, who was the headliner of that thing? Uh, I think that was ASAP Rocky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ASAP Rocky, and I think maybe Meg The Stallion, but uh, oh, yeah. I had to leave before then, unfortunately. You know, uh, that's that's fucked up. I can't believe. I know, that. I know, it's terrible. I was there. I, I'm friends with a, a guy who works with Pink Sweat, so I was there really to see the the one act. Um, okay. And yeah, but it was it was a fun festival. You know, it's just good to be back at festivals again. Really. Totally, totally. That's yeah. what I felt too. It was like it was just great to be back in the mix. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so. To me, the standout um, performer the day I saw was uh, this R&B singer Kalani. Kalani, um, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's really great, and and um, and uh, also happens to be on the cover of Rolling Stone this month as part of our um, split covers. Uh, Who's she uh, on uh, with? Uh, she so to you know Explain this but to the your listeners, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Rolling Stone has a franchise called Musicians on Musicians. Um, it is taking one older artist and one younger artist and they have a conversation and we kind of set it up and then film it and record it this year um, for reasons uh, unknown to me, but I'm glad they did it was um, they did a four way split cover. So there's four different pairs of cover artists. So uh, one pair was Olivia Rodrigo and, um, and Alanis Morissette. Um, good one. Yeah. That's a good, really good one. And yeah. uh, Alana sent sent flowers to the office uh, uh, recently, which is very nice. For nice. Um, uh, then we had uh, uh, Maluma, who is a huge uh, Colombian uh, singer. He's a huge singer from Colombia, mm-hmm. uh, and he he's great. And uh, he was uh, paired with an up and coming artist named Madonna. Sure. Uh, yeah. Heard of her. And yeah, and then um, Lord. Uh, and David Byrne um, got together in, in Williamsburg and, and it was before I officially started, but it was a photo shoot I tagged along to. And, and uh, Byrne, I know a little bit because um, a bunch of my friends over the years have, have played in his bands. And, um, and also for some reason, he was like around at Wired Magazine parties in the aughts, like every time. I mean, it'd be like someone would have a going away party and fucking David Byrne. He'd show up. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. Um, but anyway, he was around. Um, so, um, and Lord was as nice as could be, re- really sweet. Yeah. And then uh, the final pairing was um, Alicia Keys and and um, and Kalani. Kalani. Um, and um, they had an incredible conversation. Of course, it's super weird for me when the quote unquote older artist is like 10 years younger than me. I was going to uh, say, even for me, Alicia, Alicia Keys is a little young to be. <laughs> to be yeah, I know. Artist, but, you know, but, but, I mean, he's been around first, for a while. Look, her first Rolling Stone cover was in 2001. Wow. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, she's definitely, you know, she started really young. That's what happens. You know, you sort of get the the kind of LeBron James effect where it's like, exactly. you know, they've just been in the game for so long 
that even though they're only, you know, however old she is, 40 or something like that, it feels like she's been around, you know, forever. Now, my last question, when you look at sort of the next couple months to a year at Rolling Stone, who are the artists that you see as being the ones that you really want to focus on that represent Rolling Stone as it is now and who will be the cover stars and really the, the fixation of the magazine going forward? I don't want to tip my hand to who's going to be on the cover. That was, you um, didn't fall into my trap. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I'll say this, a, a couple things. Number one, um, if you're not paying attention to it, there's something really remarkable happening um, in West African music and, and, and um, African music breaking out into the mainstream through hip hop mm. and R&B. And so whether it's, you know, WizKid. WizKid, yeah. Yeah, Thames or Burna Boy. Thames is great. Um, yeah, yeah there, there is something really special happening that hasn't happened before in sort of global pop music. So mm. that's really cool. Uh, in the Latin space, look, they're like the talent right now is like just through the freaking roof. And so, you know, you got most of the listeners have heard of Bad Bunny. He's great. But like, you know, you got Raul. Uh, Alejandro, Jay Cortez, you know, so many great artists coming there. So I think, I think that's a, that's a big uh, space to watch for. And, and just in general, you know, I think it's a really cool time for music. Um, you know, at least when I was coming up, you know, international artists were kind of um, consigned to the world music section, uh, kind of like uh, the way uh, any story that takes place overseas is like, uh, confined to the world section of the of a of a paper or an outlet, and there's something really cool happening where you know the world section is the section right now, and mm -hmm. and 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 you know whether it's um, you know K-pop or any of the artists that I've just mentioned, you know the you know it's it's kind of like what happened with the NBA, like the international game has taken over. Um, the game and and that's incredibly exciting to me so i think you'll see a lot of that uh in the months to come and uh you will see some uh very well-known artists who you know are instantly recognizable um in the next um couple of months uh and and hopefully you'll be seeing them in a way you haven't seen them before noah shockman thanks so much for coming on the show my pleasure Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Noah Schachtman on Mediaite.com.